0: all around it, Josh Ross, (laughs) (laughs) so close, my (laughs) relatives like all all those names, (laughs) from Texas, now living in Memphis, Tennessee, dude, that was the best (laughs) prayer, awesome, hey, it's great to be with you guys this morning, Uh, uh, so I went to Abilene Christian University, and there was one weekend that I went on a trip with 20 friends, so 20 of us went to Fort Worth, For a weekend. It was my sophomore year of college. We just had a weekend full of really fun activities. And on a Saturday night, we went to a a minor league hockey game for the Fort Worth Brahmas. I'm not a hockey fan. I didn't grow up watching hockey. This was my first hockey event in my life. We went to this event, and I don't even really know the rules of hockey, but during the first intermission, apparently they have two 20 minute intermissions. During the first intermission, they start playing music. There were a few thousand of us there. And as the music played, me and my 20 friends, or 19 other friends, all 20 of us, we were standing up. We're just dancing to music, having a good time. We didn't know that the lady in charge of entertainment saw us. So she came over to our group and she said, hey, during the second intermission, we're going to have a dance competition. And we would like to know if one of you would come and enter into it. Well, being a guy who could be in the background of a Justin Timberlake video, I was like, sure, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. But I looked at her and I said, "Ma'am, but I'll do it under uh, one obligation. I have one request. And she looked at me like, we don't, we don't do requests. We just need a contestant. And I said, could my friends come down and circle us as we do this event? She's like, you know what, we'll do better than that we'll put where you're from up on the big screen. So little did I know how proud I was about to make Abilene Christian University, all right? So they start introducing the contestants and and then they get to me and they're like, and now we have Josh Ross, the Bible major from Abilene Christian University. This is great, the music started playing. And for 90 seconds, I danced my face off. All right, I'm gonna spare you the moves this morning because I didn't stretch, but... uh, as we danced and the, the mascot was right there dancing with us and when it was over, the lady in charge of entertainment had her microphone, and she put a hand over each contestant, and whoever the crowd yelled the loudest for won. And guess what? I won. The crowd yelled loudest for me. So then she comes over to the microphone, and she says, And our winner is Josh Ross, the Bible major from Abilene Christian University, and he has won a $20 gift certificate to Hooters. All right? <laughs> <laughs> I took it home and I showed my mom and dad I was like, you'll never believe I won a dance competition and here's what I won. My mom put it in a picture frame and framed it on the wall of our house. I don't know if she framed it because she was so proud of her baby for winning or she knew if she framed it, I couldn't use it. I don't know. Right? I want to talk just for a moment this <laughs> morning about rhythm and not that kind of rhythm, but a different kind of rhythm. Uh, when I traveled up to Barrow, the northernmost point in Alaska, I stood at the northernmost point of the United States of America. So there's a big sign that says northernmost point, United States and Alaska, Cannot I go any further north of where I stood? And in this community, as I learned a lot about light and darkness and how people navigate darkness and things that keeps the community alive, two themes continue to come up over and over again with people I talked to. One was a theme of the healthiest people in that community. Who were the healthiest people throughout the winter time and the summer time, when your rhythm can go can just be off, was people who had deep roots, they had deep convictions, and people who had healthy rhythm. So in the winter time, when it's so cold, you can't even sit on a porch and sip on tea because of frostbite. It's the rhythm that keeps you going, it keeps you connected to community, it gets you out of the house and walking, and still engage with people and. And in the summertime, when the sun hardly sets, it's the rhythm that, kept, that allowed people and kept them resting so they could get the rest they needed. Uh, and, and whenever I think of rhythm, Luke chapter 6 has been a place I've gone to for about 15 years of my life. And this is an exercise I lead my staff through, our staff through, at least once a year. And I ask the exact same questions and the answers change depending on the season of life people are in. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, Jesus, it says he went away and he prayed. He spent the entire night with God. This is something Jesus did on multiple occasions, that he would disengage from a crowd and he would go alone by himself to pray. So Henry nolan a guy who wrote years ago, talked about the Jesus rhythm or the Jesus paradigm, and he uses Luke 6 to talk about it. So in Luke 6, verse 12, you have solitude. Repeat after me, solitude. Solitude. And solitude isn't just getting away from the crowd to be alone. Solitude is getting away from people or disengaging so that your heart can connect with God. So there's solitude in the life of Jesus. Right after he spent a night in prayer with God, he comes down from the mountain in verse 13 of chapter 6. And Jesus calls together his 12 apostles. So after solitude, he engages in community. Repeat after me, Community. Community. So in Luke 6, Jesus goes from solitude to community where he calls the 12. And of those 12, there seem to be three that he spent even more time with, like intimate friends, people that were with him in almost everything he did in his life. So Jesus goes from solitude to community. After calling the 12 in Luke 6, verse 17, Jesus begins to engage in ministry. Repeat after we ministry. And this might be ministry or service, compassion, but Jesus, he he begins to heal the sick, he drives out demons, he begins to teach, so he engages in all these forms of uh, unleashing the power of God and the healing of God upon the world. So Henry Nowlin points out that this rhythm is what not just that, that kept Jesus alive and thriving. It's what the church started to do in the book of Acts. And if it's a rhythm that was good enough for Jesus and a rhythm that was good enough for the early church, it probably needs to be a rhythm that's good for us, too. Now, I don't want you to think about this like I've got to start my life for every day. has to go straight from solitude to community to ministry. And I also don't want you to think that because of Luke 6, that a third of your life needs to be in solitude. And a third of your life needs to be in community. And a third of your life has to be in ministry. God wires us differently. Our personalities are different. But if there's a rhythm that was good enough to sustain Jesus and good enough to sustain the early church, it probably has. To, it needs to make us think too. Now, there are beauty and challenges of solitude. That that solitude is the place where we are able to establish roots. And we know how loved we are by God. And we receive a calling and commissioning from God. But there are challenges of solitude as well. Uh, There are times when I'm in a busy season of my life. And my wife will come up and she's like, Josh, you just need to go spend some time with Jesus. And sometimes I don't like how my wife says it. And sometimes I'm like... I, I'm fine. Like, I, you, your mom needs to spend some time with Jesus. I'm fine, all right? Um, one of the biggest challenges of solitude for me is this. There are two big problems I have in solitude. Number one is this. What if I give God some time? So I disengage from people, and I take a little time to be with God. One of the problems is this. What if nothing happens? What if I don't sense a word from God, or I don't sense the presence of God? Will I keep coming back? Is just being alone with God, even if nothing seems to happen enough to keep me coming back to a place with God. And my other problem is this. What if I engage in some solitude and something does happen? What if God does speak a word? What if God does reveal something about his character? Because a lot of times when God does speak in scripture, it's not to tell you how cute you are. It's to like really challenge people and call them to a new place. One of the biggest challenges for us in solitude is that not just just this generation, but people living on the face of the earth today. I don't know if people have ever been more exhausted than they are today. And I don't know if people have ever been more distracted than we are because of devices and other things that are calling for our attention. So one of the challenges is how is God going to speak a clear word to to people who have distracted and exhausted hearts? And I'm not saying anything's impossible for God, but this has to be a challenge. So do we believe that solitude matters? And some of you may even be listening to this being like, man, where do I even start? A lot of times people come to me and they're like, hey, help me develop some disciplines in my life to connect with God. And I encourage people, start small. Can you take two minutes a day just to give God thanks for your life? Can you take five or ten minutes in a day just to disengage, to get alone, to be with God away from a cell phone to try to limit distractions? Just five to ten minutes and then build on that and see what God can do. There's beauty and challenges to solitude. There's beauty and challenges to community. Some of you, community comes probably easy to you. Some of you, it's a challenge. Some of you, it's hard because you have had people in your life who have betrayed you. So building trust or being vulnerable with someone is really hard. Some of you, this may not be a challenge at all. But I know in the most difficult seasons of my life, like when my sister has died and my wife and I have had to make big decisions about if we're going to move and relocate and, and, and how we're going to raise our children, having a tight-knit community that we can bounce ideas off of. People who are there both to, to love us and support us through anything, but also to challenge us. I don't know where we would be without some of these close friends in our lives. And their are beauty and challenges to ministry and service too. That it can be draining sometimes, and you engage in forms of compassion, you may get burnt every once in a while. After all, we've burnt Jesus plenty of times, and he keeps showering compassion on us. So, my wife and I, we've lived in a neighborhood now for about seven and a half years. It's an under resourced community. And there are times when I've been through seasons where I'm like, God, I'm just not a good neighbor right now. Like, help me be a better neighbor. And, and I live at so much peace when I hear the, the, when I sense God pressing on my heart of, hey, Josh, here's what I need. I don't need you to go spend three hours a day trying to build relationships in your community. Can you take just a few minutes to go outside and whatever neighbor comes by your house, whatever neighbor you see standing outside, whatever neighbor is walking to their job, or or, or can you just love whoever is in front of you with the very best of your ability? There's a challenge in to compassion, too. We've been in our neighborhood now for about seven and a half years. Back in January, we felt like God had... There were some breakthroughs with some of our neighbors. There had been a struggle because moving into our neighborhood, it's, it's taken a while for people to believe that we're there uh, just to walk alongside them. And it was a Sunday morning. We were at church, and after church, there was a couple in their 60s, and they wanted to meet with my wife and I to talk about just spiritual development. They felt like they had been complacent in their faith for decades, so we went and we sat down to eat some barbecue for lunch, which is probably what Jesus would eat after church on Sunday mornings too, to sit down and eat some barbecue. So we sat down and eat barbecue, and the tray is coming out, bringing the food to our table, and my wife gets a call on her cell phone, and it was our alarm company. The alarm company calls my wife because they don't call me because she's better at answering her phone than I am and they said, hey, we have a report of a broken window at your house. Do you want us to dispatch the police? And we said yes. And I said, well, baby, I'll stay here and eat. How about you go home and check on what's (laughs) happening? (laughs) No, I was like, baby, you stay here. I thought it was just a false alarm, maybe a door kind of cracked or something. So I was like, baby, let me go check. I'll be right back. Don't let anybody else see my food, okay? So I ran home drove around our house and sure enough a window had been broken out the curtain was flapping out the window and I was like you've got to be kidding me like and since I've told this story like, it's amazing how many ministers have been robbed on Sunday mornings during church and so I wait for the police to come and, and I mean people broke into our house and they they stole TVs they didn't get a lot of stuff but you just feel just, if this has ever happened to you before you feel so violated and my my mind immediately went to my family What's my wife going to think? How are my 11 and 9-year-old boys going to process this? Are they going to have night terrors for for weeks or months? Uh, Is my wife going to say, man, we just can't live it? Now, in Memphis, it doesn't matter what neighborhood you're in, there have been break-ins all over the place. So It's not just our neighborhood. And as I was processing this for like 30 minutes, waiting for my wife and my kids to come home, she already told them what had happened, so they weren't coming home to first hear the news, but I just didn't know what to expect. This was in January, and that afternoon there were NFL playoff games. We're a big football family. So my oldest son was the first one to come through the door, and he walks in, and I didn't know what to expect, right? He comes in, and he's like, Dad, where are we going to watch the games this afternoon? Mom said the TVs are gone, Dad. We're going to go to Buffalo Wild Wings. We can go to Chili's. Where are we going to watch the games? I was like, All right, maybe it sounds like my oldest son's doing okay. My youngest son walks in, and he's like, Dad, I already got a plan. We're gonna go, we're gonna find who did this. You're gonna grab him, throw him on the ground because you're bigger and then I'm gonna kick him. So my <laughs> youngest son was like, he's ready to return violence, it's crazy. My wife walks in, she just gives me a butt, big hug and I, I hug her and I'm kind of crying. So I'm like, oh baby, I'm so sorry. She's like, it's okay. I was two days away from going on a two week trip to Africa with Compassion International. I was like, baby, I'm not going to Africa. She's like, you're going to Africa. I said, baby, I'm not going to go to Africa and leave you here in the hood with a boarded up window. I'm not going to do it. She said, you're going to Africa. I said, no, I'm not. She said, yes, I am. She said, and she looked at me and she said, Josh, every single night since our kids were born, you pray. And in your prayer, you say, God, help these boys not to be afraid. And she said, you stand up in front of our church and you talk to them about courage and bravery almost every single week. So it's time for you to listen to what you preach to other people. I was like, baby, don't be using my words against me. Right? Like, and so two days later, I went to Africa. But my wife and I, our challenge then became, our hearts began to get hard. Like, is, is compassion sometimes even worth it? Like, we, we, we don't know who broke into our house. Maybe it was someone we knew. Maybe it was someone we didn't know. But what happens when we engage in forms of compassion and, and we feel like it's a burner, it just isn't worth it. So compassion and this event for us led me back to, I've got to get in the place of solitude to, to make, let my heart get over to God so God can tend to my heart because I don't want my heart to become hard. And for that event to keep me from loving all people, no matter where I am. How many of you, I'm just curious, how many of you would say solitude is easiest for you? Just a show of hands. How many of you would say solitude comes easiest out of these three? How many of you would say community and building relationships comes easiest to you? Just curious. How many of you would say ministry and forms of service, justice, compassion, comes easiest to you? Show of hands. How many of you didn't raise your hand for anything? (laughs) Yeah, there's some of you. Right? How many of you would say solitude is the hardest for you? Just a show of hands. How many of you would say community and having building relationships is the hardest for you? how many of you would say justice and compassion service is the hardest for you? What happens in life if we only engage in solitude but we're not paying attention to how God's calling us to serve as we can easily become inactive believers? And if... Especially for you, because you're a part of a generation that your heart is bent. It seems you are bent, and you lean into forms of justice and compassion. But if we engage in forms of justice and compassion with no solitude, with nothing establishing roots, then after two or three years, we're burnt out. So you need this healthy rhythm in your life. So I went to Africa. I went to Ethiopia in January. As a group, I was with a group of 35 pastors. And we got to visit all these compassionate international sites and see things God was doing all over these places in some of the poorest neighborhoods and communities throughout Africa. Now, on Sunday morning, they said at 10 o'clock, we need all of your group to me. We're going to go to an Ethiopian English speaking church this morning. And we thought we were going to a church with like 30 people. We showed up to church five minutes early and we walked into a warehouse of thousands of people and there was no room left. It was five minutes before church, and people were already in church. I was like, we don't do this in the United States of America this way. (laughs) This worship service went three hours long. It's one of the greatest worship services I've ever been a part of. The energy, the excitement. And it happened to be an African revival while we were there. So there were people from every country but one in Africa. And at one point in the worship service, the lead pastor, he stood up in front of the group. He stood in front of the church and he said, hey, we have a tribe here where Christianity goes back to the very first century. And since the seventh century, there's been a tribal Christian dance that they perform in their church. And they're here to perform this for us today. Well, that right there kind of like, I, I don't know, I've just never been in church before. or I heard someone stand up and say, we have a Christian tribal dance that's going to be performed for us today. So my first thought was, man, I have definitely grown up in white church because, like, dancing and Christianity in churches is not something that I grew up doing. All right? I mean, I grew up in a church where you got in trouble if you swayed during church. <laughs> you know? I, I went to a church where the elders met to discuss if you could lift hands in church or not, and they stood up and they said, "We've decided you can lift hands, but it can't go higher than the neck." Like it was like that is a, that's an issue. But this 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 tribe stood up. Probably 50 people stood up on this stage, dressed in their tribal gear. And for 25 minutes, this dance unfolded. And I was just drawn in from the very beginning because over 25 minutes, there were moments where the rhythm was fast. And there were moments the rhythm was slow. There were moments when it was full of joy and you could feel the joy. And there were moments of great like sadness. And this, this dance like, drew us into all of the rhythm and the emotions of God. That we don't dance and ask God to come and dance to our rhythm, but it's God who has a rhythm and he's asking us to come and dance in his rhythm. To honor times in life when we need to slow down so we can find ourselves again, that we can stay connected, and that we can engage in ministry the way God wants us to. So while in that church service, at one point the lead minister stood up and he said, Hey, there's a testimony that's come from one of our communities this week. And he so I said, I have to share this with you. That there's a community outside of where we were in Ethiopia. And it was a small community, a Christian community. And they decided that on their own, they wanted to try to dig a well so they could have clean water. Which is a great risk for them. Not a risk for their bodies, but for a community to try to put together money to dig. It's just a it's a risk because there's no guarantee you're gonna find water. Now sometimes we're a part of organizations and we raise a few thousand dollars, we go, we dig, if we don't get anything, we raise a few more thousand dollars and we go. But if a community, a poor community, is putting together resources, it's a great risk. So this community got together and they began to pray and hours and hours and hours went by as they as they dug. And I don't know if it's true in all places in Africa and throughout the world where they dig for water, but for them 45 meters is the number. If you get to 45 meters, you know if you found water or not. And they began to dig. And the church was praying. And they got to 45 meters. And there was nothing. And this church felt defeated. People began to walk away with their heads hanging low. What are we going to do? And there was a female, an older lady in the church, who stopped everyone and said, Stop, let's come back together Let's come and let's pray and let's just, let's just go one more meter and the church got together and they began to pray and they went one more meter and they got to 46 and there was an overflow of water and this leader stood up in front of us and shared this story. And then yeah, me and some others, I mean, we just start processing, oh my goodness, like how many people in our churches and how many of you are stuck at 45 meters? Stuck because of complacency or apathy or sin or who knows what else. Stuck because rhythm is off. And God may be inviting you, hey, just one more meter. Not based on your effort, but trusting in God. One more meter and let's just see what God can do. Because there may be overflow. Will you bow your heads? God, this morning, if I've said anything that honors your character, your nature, your heart, your mission, I pray that those words will sink deep into the hearts and will establish roots and bear great fruit. And God, if I've said anything that doesn't honor who you are, I pray that those words will fall to the ground and be trampled and not be remembered at all. I pray, God, for the students in this room and for this campus. That the Spirit of God will descend and the Spirit of God will bring overflow, to bring people to life, to bring anything that reflects of death to life. And I pray this in the power of the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.